There we go. All right, so I'm going to go back to the beginning. I open up to Isaiah chapter 5, and we are going to start with verse 1 today. Um, Before we begin, though, basically in Isaiah, what we've been doing and seeing is this very strong critique against the people for their self strength, so to speak. And it's not necessarily against humanity in general. It's just the fact that these people are willing to trust in their own might, whether it's feminine beauty or or, uh, masculine strength, in order to save them. But in the end, God's saying, you can't save yourselves. In the end, you have to trust more in me because I'm the only one who can save you. And he keeps on, the prophet keeps critiquing them for this. And so uh, chapters one through four, really we're dealing with this and hitting a, a strong point. Now, chapter 5 is almost a prelude for the rest of the book, in which case um, we're going to have a parable to begin with, and then the prophet is going to kind of explain the parable further on. Today, we're only going to focus on the parable itself, though that's why verses 1 through 7 are going to be our focus today. So we'll start with verse 1. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. So the parable stage is set with Isaiah speaking of a song for his beloved. The fact that Isaiah does not name the beloved to begin with is telling. He is purposefully captivating his audience by not telling them who he is speaking of. It then leads to the vineyard which his beloved owns. That the vineyard was on a very fertile hill informs us that the place of the vineyard was perfect for the purpose of harvest. As such, the beloved has chosen well in order to cultivate the fruit of the vine. Now verse 2. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. He looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. We now find the work of the beloved concerning the vineyard. First he dug and cleared it of all stones. This would be the first necessary step in order to plant. If the vineyard had many stones in it, it would be unable to take root and in essence be unable to produce a great crop. Thus, by digging and clearing, we find the beloved caring for his vineyard's foundation. Not only this, but he also planted it with choice vines. These vines were sure to create the best of harvest. They are not ordinary vines, but the best of the best, so to speak. Thus, we find the beloved not only setting the foundation, but even bringing forth the best for his vineyard. It is likely that the stones would be used to build an outer wall and whatever was left over a watchtower. Such a watchtower would be used in order to protect his vineyard from an outside threat. Nothing would come in to ravage his vineyard. Not only this, he also hewed out a wine vat. This would be used for one of two reasons. The first is for pressing of grapes with a lower one that would collect the juices. Another possibility is that the vat would be used as a means for collecting the grapes and keeping them safe. Altogether, the beloved has put a great amount of effort into the vineyard. As such, the beloved would wait in eager anticipation for the eventual harvest. He had done all that he could do, done everything necessary, and even gone above and beyond normal call of duty. Surely, the result would be good clusters of grapes. But instead of this yield, it was wild grapes. That is, these grapes were not good at all. They were bad. They were essentially worthless. Despite all the hope He had held in his vineyard, despite all the hard work which he had put into it, it essentially was fruitless. 
One could imagine those who were in attendance gasping at the results of wild grapes. Now we come to verses 3 and 4. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done for it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? Speaking directly to the people, the people are to be the judge between the beloved and the vineyard. They were an agricultural people after all. They would easily see the problem with the story. What more could the beloved had done for his vineyard? You can almost imagine a host of shouts at this point. Nothing! You have done everything you could do under the circumstances. It should have produced good fruit for you. All those in attendance would be in accord. Nothing more could have been done. And now we come to verses 5 and 6. And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and, I shall, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I shall also command the clouds that they rain, no rain upon it. As such, one could imagine the response to each of these statements by the beloved. The result is judgment against the vineyard. He will take away its protective hedge, which will allow the vineyard to be devoured by wild animals. He will break down its wall for people to trample all over it. Indeed, it will become nothing but a waste, a forgotten thing that will not be cared for. It will no longer resemble the beauty which it was set in. Instead, it will be overgrown. It will be forgotten in time. At this point, Isaiah may be tightening the bonds. While the people would surely have been shouting in agreement, and the last statement of judgment against the vineyard comes that the beloved will make it so that the clouds will not rain upon it. At this point, some may have agreed, an oath against such a wasted vineyard. But others might begin to see, who controls the clouds and who controls the rain? Thus Isaiah is giving us a hint of what is to come. The people themselves have likely incriminated themselves against the parable. And that's why we come to verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah and his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice and behold, bloodshed for righteousness and behold, an outcry. As such, the trap is set. The vineyard was nothing more than an allegory for themselves. The vineyard of the Lord of all is the house of Israel. It is the men of Judah. Just as people plant vineyards, so God has planted his vineyard, which is the nation of Israel. Just as someone might plant for themselves, God planted for himself. But what was the fruit of the people? Just as the beloved had looked for good grapes, he found wild grapes. The same is true of God and his own people. For his people were to bring justice, but instead of bringing justice, they brought bloodshed. Whether it was against the poor or others, the injustice of the people shows the corruption. Indeed, a good harvest would not only be justice, but righteousness with people. Instead of this, however, there is an outcry against the people, and God hears the outcry. What more needs to be said concerning his people? Just as the vineyard should be judged, so should his own people, whom he has loved, he has cherished and guarded, and he has kept. Those who should know justice and righteousness, for he planted it with them by his own character, 
They will be judged, though, because they bore bad fruit. All right. So the main point of these verses are for Isaiah to proclaim a parable. In the parable, the agricultural society would see the problem quickly. The beloved does all he can for the vineyard, and yet the vineyard still produces bad grapes. In a twist, the people are God's vineyard. And like the judgment that befalls the vineyard for producing bad fruit, so judgment will come against the people for producing bad fruit in injustice and unrighteousness. So before everything that happened with the coronavirus this past week, um, I wrote this, and it seems almost fitting for everything that's been going on, um, personally speaking. And the application point is that God is good. Um, So let's see. The parable we have read in today's text is merely a prelude to the rest of the chapter. As we continue on from here, we will see how the people have been bearing bad fruit as opposed to good fruit. We're going to see it all. As such, before we get into dealing with human depravity and our own states apart from God in full, it seems wise to consider the part of this parable which depicts God in all of this. Because despite human ignorance and disobedience, and despite our sinful states, what we find in the parable is a God who is good. He is taking care of his people and continue to do so for a long time. He has shown them the way of justice and righteousness, and he has given them the greatest opportunity for goodness in this life. Not only this, but it is from him that life itself even comes for the people. Without God, there would be no life for them to live. Whether we are speaking of the limited time here or the possibility of a future life forever in God's glory. All in all, we find in the parable this very caring and loving God. Just as it is with the vineyard, so it is with God's people. While we may find it difficult to understand at times, especially times like now, the truth is our God is always with us, caring for us and loving us. He has done all those things which are necessary for us and for our survival. He has cleared the stones. He has set the watchtower. He has laid a strong foundation for us and for our lives. Again, our God is good. He does not leave us alone to figure out all the mysteries, nor does he leave us alone to understand which course we are to follow in this life. We are not haphazardly thrown into this life without any guidance. No, our God has given us all that we need in order to journey onward into glory. Notice, this is not done by us. The simple truth is, we are not the creators. We are the creatures. We are the ones who God has brought forth for his glory. The parable reminds us that we are not the ones who do it all, but it is God who has done it all through the law, through the prophets, the writings, and through his son, Jesus Christ, who fulfills all of these things. God has made our path straight through Christ. While we may believe we are the ones who set our own foundation, the truth is we merely pick which foundation we're to build our lives upon. The foundations have always been set before us, even before we were born. Shall we build upon a foundation set by self? Or shall we build upon the foundation set by God? There are repercussions to both. One leads to death, and the other leads to life. Rightly, this is the case. If God is good, and his glory is what is best for this world, then anything which is separate from his glory is worthy of judgment. Why? Because it is not good enough 
The concept of self with the, which Isaiah has been critiquing so far shows how inadequate we really are to set our own foundations. Meanwhile, texts like we read today show us why God is perfectly capable and able to set a good and strong foundation for us. As well as his love and care which he has put into setting us on such a foundation. This foundation is laid by God's grace. He has done it by giving us this great world in which we live in. He has given us all we need in order to follow him, to glorify him, to find redemption even in him. There is nothing for us to want. We find all manner of love, justice, righteousness, holiness, and blessedness through God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yet we find the problem with humanity in the text. Despite God and His goodness, we find the people turning away from Him. We could look back on the people and think, how could they? We could reflect and think that they were somehow far worse than we The truth is, however, that just as they fell into injustice and unrighteousness, so do we. We are just as filled with folly as they were, despite God doing so much, especially through His Son Jesus, and despite revealing Himself and how to bring about the greatest good in the world through obedience and faith in Him, we still find ourselves going our own way. Because of this, we are people who are in need of being reminded of all that we find in this text today. We are in need of being reminded our foundations are in God. There are so many deceptions out there which would cause us to sway from what God would have us to be. There are so many ideologies and beliefs which are contrary to what is good and right. If we look to the left and if we look to the right in the world, we will find beliefs which are contrary to God and His ways. Just as it is with self, they are alluring and they're seductive in their own ways. But to follow them is to become like wild grapes. It is to take what is given to us for goodness and turn it on its head. It is to become something other than what we were meant to be in Christ. Very often we can forget who we are instead when it comes to God. It can be easy for us to be misled. All the while we are ignorant of the great things God has provided for us already. If only we should realize all He has done and simply trust in Him and what He has provided for us. As such, we need to recognize the repercussions which comes from ignoring Him And what he has accomplished. If we should follow, then there will be goodness. If, however, we turn our own way, then we will have judgment and destruction. Our choice in the matter has repercussions for us and for this world. As in the end, the world is affected by our choices. But let there be no doubt in our minds. If God is good, which he shows us he is, then there is no reason to not simply fall into his love and trust in his grace and mercy to guide us all of our days. Even when we do not understand, even when we try to wonder why God would do it this way, we can trust that God is good and his ways are good, which leads to us glorifying him in our obedience. Thus, we can trust in him with directing us in this life, as he leads us ever onward to himself. Because that is the difference between us and God. We, when left to our own designs, will only be led into destruction because of sin. 
God, however, is not sinful. He does not miss the mark. No, he is good, always good, and forever good. While we fail all, he does not. Not once has he failed, nor could he ever fail to uphold all good things. As such, when we read the text today, I hope it encourages us to remember that our God is good. It is not as though he leaves us penniless. He does not leave us expecting us to get by on our own. He has set us up with the greatest of gifts, which is the redemption found in Christ, and his spirit who guides us all along the way. There is hope for us today, only because of God. There is goodness even here, only because of God. So we are the vineyard, and God has delved deeply into who we are, and has given us redemption for all who we are. Shall we doubt him who is so good? I would suggest not. Instead, I would suggest we relish being his vineyard and seek to produce good fruit. So continue to place your hope not in yourself, not in the world, but in him. He is worthy of our hope, and he is worthy of beings who worship him with their lives, who seek to produce good fruit rather than rotten fruit who desires to honor him with what is good, just, and right. He deserves no less than all of us. So let's give him all that we have, every breath, every heartbeat, now and forever. I would like to close the main point of this with Psalm 23, because I think that it fits so well with who God is and his goodness toward us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. And so naturally, I think that we're led into the gospel. We're led into the fact that God is good, and he has created this great, wonderful world in which we live. The one which we're going to go outside soon, and we're going to see this beautiful day. And we can praise God for it. And we can say, this is glorious. Because the one who created it is glorious. And we can enjoy it. We can love and cherish the things which he has made. Because he's made it for us to glorify him in. You know, it's really fun. When you, who's your favorite painter? I know my wife loves Van Gogh, right? I mean, all the Starry Nights things and things like that. Like, and you look at it and you think, wow, how great is that artist? How great are they at what they've created? And yet God created us and we get to not only look at the paintings, we get to live in it. (laughs) How crazy is the thought of that? That God, this creator who is so brilliant, has given us all things and we're part of it and we get to experience it and live in it and enjoy it. When God created all the universe, he said, it is good because he made it. And it is good. And when it comes to humanity, we're good when we're created in his image, which we are. All humans have dignity, sanctity, and worth to life. 
But then we also sin. And when sin comes into this world, there are dire consequences. There's death. There's destruction. Like the vineyard. Humanity is God's vineyard. It's not just the people of Israel. It was all humanity, really. And instead of producing goodness, we produce bad. And what's the result of producing bad things? Destruction. There's judgment. Everything that's going on with the coronavirus, it's bad, right? We can't say it's good. Even if it might be the flu and whatnot. Even if the results don't seem too big in our minds right now. The truth is it's still bad. People are still dying. It's still affecting many. And it's already affected all of us, even if we haven't had it yet. Everyone's been affected. It's crazy. Why does stuff like that happen? I can't help but think it has to do with sin. I can't help but think that maybe we're living in a time when David, if anyone remembers when David did that census that one time toward the end of his reign, and God said, hey, you sinned, what do you want to happen? And David chose three days of a plague. And he saw the angel of the Lord with the sword out, cutting down the people. I can't help but think that maybe this whole coronavirus is just judgment. And the truth is we're deserving of judgment. We can't say that we're innocent by any means. But God has redeemed through Jesus Christ. And through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we find righteousness, we find judgment, and we find redemption from the sins that we have committed. And you know what this all is? It may be judgment for the world. Do you know what it is for Christians? A trial. That's it. It's a trial. Because we will overcome. Because Christ overcame. We have nothing to fear Sickness, death. What are these things compared to the life of Christ? They're nothing. So all of us, we have the potential here and now in the midst of all that's happening to shine the light of Jesus so greatly, to ring the bell so loudly, right here and now in the midst of it all. This is a great opportunity. Not to glorify himself, but to show Jesus. Now is the time. Now is the time to produce good fruit. It's in the midst of it right now. We have the potential. And guess what? We can't say that God hasn't blessed us. (laughs) I mean, we live in a very blessed country, actually. So the question is how are we going to respond to it all? Are we going to love our neighbors? Are we going to take care of each other? Are we going to produce justice and righteousness in the midst of sorrow? That's our call. That's what the future is going to look like for the next month or so. (laughs) That's how it's going to be. But you know what? Do you want to know what the best part is? We can do it without fear. Because we have nothing to fear.
Because in the end, we're heading on into glory. We're heading on into the beautiful light of God forever. We are heading into a place where there's no more sin or darkness or viruses to break the world, apparently. We're heading into a place where there is only joy forever, and it's because the joy lasts forever because of who we have our joy in, and it's God. Don't take your eyes off of him. That's the best thing we can do right now. Don't take your eyes off of Christ. He will lead us all the way. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for what you have accomplished. We thank you so much for Isaiah, for the parable of the vineyard. And we thank you so much, Lord, that you have set a foundation in Jesus Christ, that you have done all that is necessary for us to produce good fruit. And it's not our power, but it's your power within us. And so, Lord, in this time of doubt, in this time when we look around and see sorrow and pain all around the world, Lord, we ask that we would do nothing but spread your light, that we would do nothing but seek to glorify you here and now, and we would do all that we can for the world to see that your way is the best and that it leads to true justice and righteousness and true love because you loved us. And you continue to love us. So Lord, during this time, we ask for your strength. We ask for your peace. Because Lord, we are in desperate need of it. We thank you, Lord. Because we know that we have it in your son. Keep our eyes on him. We thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So if you'd like to rise for our last hymn, it's bef- I think it's fitting. All the way, my Savior leads me, number 505. All the way, my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in Him to dwell. For I know whate'er befall me, Jesus do with all things well. For I know whate'er befall me, Jesus do with all things well. All the way my Savior leads me, cheers each winding path I tread, gives me grace for every trial, feeds me with the living bread. Though my weary steps may falter, and my soul a thirst may be, Gushing from the rock before me, lo, a spring of joy I see. Gushing from the rock before me, lo, a spring of joy I see. All the way my Savior leads me, oh, the fool of his love 
perfect dress to me is promised in my Father's house above. When my spirit clothed in mortal wings its flight to realms of day, this my song through endless ages. Jesus led me all the way. This my song through endless ages. Jesus led me all the way. I thank you all for coming out this week. Um, And I don't know what's going to happen next week or the week after, but Jesus leads us all the way so we can go out in peace and love and mercy and know his grace. God bless everyone. May you have a truly healthy week. We <laughs> got the head. God bless. Well, thank you.